0: Okay, um, what was it, two weeks ago, I guess, two weeks ago, I, uh, what was it, three weeks ago, three weeks ago, ago. because it was the storm, yeah, we canceled church. Did anyone come to church that Sunday that we canceled it? How was that? Good. Uh, Well, anyways, yeah, so it was three weeks ago, I... um, I I did a a thing. Uh, I ta- we're, we're going through the book of Ephesians for anyone that's visiting this morning, and I we were in Ephesians four, and I and I shared something about uh, there, there's a, talks about the one uh, one faith, one hope, uh, one baptism, one spirit, all that kind of stuff. But but we we kind of stopped on the one faith, one hope, which hope should be translated expectation. It's really not. Any Greek lexicon will 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 say that uh, it's not the way that we uh, use the word hope today. It's it's an expectation. It's something sure and it's coming. It's uh, it's not a wish or something you'd like to see happen. It's an expectancy in the heart. And and so I, I started sharing about it, if you remember uh, that that um, that one expectation uh that is actually born out of one one faith one faith and uh and then we I got into a little bit about right and wrong uh valid or invalid expectations and and that's continued to be kind of on the uh on the forefront of my mind the last few weeks um and so i thought i would continue on sharing about that this morning Before we go on in in Ephesians, Um, again, there's one faith. One faith gives rise to one expectation. And that one faith is not one religion or one creed or one holy book. That one faith is the one thing that God sees. Remember, faith is not your belief about God. Faith is the mind of the Lord working in you. It's all the difference in the world. Faith isn't your thoughts about, about spiritual things. Faith is spirit, the, the understanding of the Spirit being written in your heart by the finger of God. And so, so the one faith is the one thing that God sees, and therefore the only thing that God shows. And that begins to work in you, what's called the unity of the faith. The unity of faith is, is, is you could say, it's the one view that God has. The one son that God knows. The one thing that is present, present in his awareness, and therefore the one thing that he's trying to show you. I said last time that, 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 uh, that faith is an experience of God's fact. Not, it's not belief in, in the right doctrines. It is the possessing. It is the substance. It is the, the evidence. It is the reality of what God knows to be real. It's one light showing you, showing you one sun. And everyone that grows up into true faith will see the exact same thing because it's the only thing that God is revealing. It's hard, it's hard to mention any of this without jumping a little bit ahead in Ephesians chapter 4 to Ephesians 4.13. In Ephesians 4.13, Paul talks about the many coming to share the one view and what he calls the unity of the faith. The unity of the faith, the unity of the Son of God. Um, unity of the faith, the unity of the knowledge of the Son of God. It's really impossible. What, what he's Kind of what he's saying in this whole section here is that it's, it's impossible to have disunity in the body of Christ if we are all baptized into one death made to partake of one Spirit, seeing with one light the one Son who is the life of all of us. And that's kind of an overview, really, of this whole section. But the one faith, again, the one faith that he's talking about here is not a bunch of, of natural minds believing or agreeing on the same spiritual things. It is, in fact, the one mind of the Lord, the one mind of the Spirit working in a bunch of, of people. And there's a huge difference between those two things. The church has spent uh, 2,000 years trying to unite natural minds into one opinion about Jesus Christ. And it's not just that it hasn't worked yet, it it, it will never work. It cannot work. There's no unity in the fleshly mind because souls are utterly independent and autonomous by nature until they are filled with the same spirit and flooded with the same light. So you cannot make unity. You have to be born of it, born into it. And even when you're born of it, it you won't won't walk in the reality of it until it's revealed in you, until you see the same sun with the same light. We talked about that. That's why Paul says in, in this scripture here, to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. It doesn't say create the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. We're preserving something that we've been born into through knowing the truth. So again, faith is the mind of the Lord working in you. It's not just the life of the Lord living in you. It's the mind of the Lord operating in you. And what does that work in you? What does that give rise to in your soul? It gives rise to one expectation. It works in you the expectation of God, the expectation of God's purpose. In other words, when you share his mind, you experience his expectation. You don't have to think about whatever your expectations might be. And that expectation of God is towards the full harvest, the full increase of what He has planted in you. It's an expectation towards what, again, what Ephesians 4.13 calls the full measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That phrase says everything. Full measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And we're going to get to that verse eventually, but honestly, by the time we get there, I'm probably going to have said everything I know to say about it. But the entire book of Ephesians—you could probably say the entire Bible—is a collection of arrows that point towards Ephesians 4:13, in a sense. It's the eternal purpose of God. Where is everything going? What what is everything for? Why did God do this or that or, or you know, you name it. It all leads to what Paul says in Ephesians four thirteen. It all leads to one new man, one mature man, attaining to the measure of the fullness of the stature of Christ. That's where it all goes. That's where this thing is going. And that and that's not talking about a date in the future. That's not. It's, this is a statement of purpose. This isn't a, a statement about something that's going to happen in two thousand and ninety four or something like that. Uh, you know, that two thousand and ninety four, there will be such a man on planet Earth. I don't believe that, uh, you know, there's some people that teach that. I don't, I don't believe that that's what this is talking about at all. There's a lot of problems with that line of thinking practically and otherwise. I believe it's a statement of the direction of the heart of God, the direction of the purpose of God. It's, what the, Lord, it's, it's the way the Lord leads. It's the path He takes all men and women down. It's, it's what He steers them towards. He governs all things towards this one end. And you don't ever have to guess what direction God is leading you. He's leading you towards the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's the purpose. And if his mind is working in you by faith, it is working in you something called expectation. This is of what Ephesians, or flip, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 13 and so many different places talk about faith, hope, Better translated, expectation and love. Faith, these three abide in Christ. Faith, hope, and love. Well, faith gives rise to expectation, and expectation gives rise to love, which is the manifestation and experience of all that God is. But it starts with faith. It starts with the seeing of the spiritual mind of the Lord working in you. And what that does in you, it begins to, it begins to line up your expectations with God's expectations. And that's kind of what we were talking about last time. I went on to describe that unless God's um, unless God's expectation is working in us, we we will do something very dangerous. It's not something you even choose to do; it just happens quite naturally. You will dream up your own expectations of God, and I'm not saying you're not born again. It's not that we don't read our Bible. It's not that we don't you know have the Spirit of God. Unless the Spirit of God works in us to show us God's expectation to bring us into a participation of His expectation, there's no other alternative than to presume wrongly. You'll never guess it right. It's just I was thinking of this analogy. I said it in one of our groups in the past week or two or whatever. Remember when Jesus was in the flesh and there was that guy that was born uh, born blind that He heals? I think it's in John chapter nine. And, uh, you know, this, this guy had never seen anything. He came from the womb blind. And yet this man for, who knows, 25, 30, 35, who knows how many years, doesn't say old he is, I don't think. Uh, he had interacted with his environment his whole life. What I mean is he had encountered, he had encountered trees. He had encountered his mom he had encountered a rainstorm he had encountered buildings and sunlight and and people you know he he had known his parents his siblings and certainly however this might work in in, in a blind man i don't i don't know how this works in them but there must have been some kind of image or concept that works in them according to to what he assumed their appearance would be something some image about what they would uh, appear to be like or look like or you know no no doubt based on the things that he had felt or, or heard or smelled or heard talked about or whatever there's some kind of an idea in this blind guy's head about the appearance of of these things. Well, here comes Jesus, and Jesus spits in the dirt and makes a little mud ball and sticks it in his eyes. Uh, And and lo and behold, this guy sees for the first time in his entire life. And, And here's my question. How many of this guy's ideas about the appearance of things Do you think he guessed right? I mean, how many of his mental images, images of of his mother, or images of what a rain shower looks like, or a forest, how many of those were were just like what he imagined? Zero. Why? Why zero? Why would they all be wrong? Well, simply because there was nothing but darkness to work with. There was nothing but imagination to work with until... Eyes function to let in light. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's utterly impossible for a man that's born blind to guess the appearance of something because there's nothing of light for him to work with. And it's the exact same way when we're talking about knowing God or or knowing the expectations of God. You're not going to guess it right. You don't have anything to work with until the light of life begins to shine in your heart. You're not going to... Learn it from your own guess, you're not going to learn it from anybody else's guess. It's not learned through, through teaching. It's seen in the light of his appearing. And when it is, it necessarily destroys whatever concepts and ideas were formerly there. It never validates what you thought Seeing something in the light of the Spirit of God always contradicts what you had formerly envisioned. And it may sound like a, you know, a pretty sweeping claim, but it's not, that, it's not that weird. It's the same thing as the guy born blind. You didn't have anything of light to start with. See, I guarantee you, the looser you, you hold to your ideas about God, the more room he has to reveal his ideas in your heart. So, until you see by His light, there's nothing really true to work with. So, a couple of weeks ago, or three weeks ago, we spoke of the need to allow the Lord to reveal in us the one expectation that begins to come out from faith. The one anticipation that arises out from the mind of the Lord. And this will always, again, this will always destroy the, the expectations that come out from ourselves that arise from from darkness. And it's not safe, if you you can hear what I'm saying here, and not be offended by this, it's not safe uh, just because you think you got your expectations from the Bible. There are a lot of people claiming that the Bible promises them all sorts of different things. If you read the Bible without the mind of the Lord, without the comprehension of the spirit, then your imagination is, your imagination is still going to define your expectations. You're going, to, you're going to read yourself right into biblical stories rather than seeing Christ in them. What I mean is that you'll read a story of like the kingdom of Solomon, and, and you will expect the Lord to work in your life the same way he have worked in Solomon's life rather than seeing the Christ in that story in that situation something of of spiritual eternal reality in the kingdom of Christ that you have inherited you, you you'll read you'll read uh, the story of how God talked to Moses in a little tent and you'll 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 expect that God will do that to you in your own little tent and that's uh, rather than 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 realizing the, the, the that that his communication with you in Christ is the fulfillment and reality of what that 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 minuscule picture that Moses exper- experienced looked like. It's so much bigger than that. You'll you you'll pray and you'll wait for for Elisha's double portion. You know, having no clue what that story is even talking about, no understanding of what it means for Elisha to see Elijah high and lifted up in the heavens and receive from him the, the inheritance that, that happens when you can see the heavenly man. What I'm trying to say is that you're going to put yourself into a scripture passage rather than pulling Christ out. You're going to project your mind into the Bible rather than gaining the mind of the Lord. And you can argue, you can always argue that your expectations are biblical and still be entirely missing God's point. God has to work in you and work in me the one expectation that comes out from faith. And I'm certainly not talking about I mean, if you're hearing this, then you're misunderstanding me. I'm not talking about lowering your expectations. Nothing could be further from the truth. I'm talking about pointing them towards the right thing. I'm talking about where your exp- expectations are aimed. Are we expecting God to do in us what He promised and what He is always working towards in the soul or are we expecting Him to do something that is honestly irrelevant to and far less than what He is trying to do? Are we expecting God to give us a whole lot of other natural things in addition to Christ? Or are we expecting God to reveal in us the immeasurable greatness of what he has given to us as Christ? And that's the difference between this one expectation given of God and the the many and different expectations proclaimed by by the mind of man. And The reason I'm spending uh, some time on this is simply because I, I talk to a lot of people. You know, I talk to a lot of people in the body of Christ. I I hear what we say. It's not hard to see what we're expecting. I hear people say, "Well, I know the Lord. You know, He's going to do this, or eventually, you know, I'm waiting on the Lord's timing for that, or I'm trusting the Lord to do this, or sooner or later the Lord's going to get to this." Or... And I'm not saying the Lord is not going to do any of those things. I don't know what the Lord is going to do in the earth. But I do know something of what God has done in Christ, and I have found it to be sure, to expect Him, to expect Him to let me know it, walk in the good of it, experience it, enjoy it, participate in it, in what God has done in Christ. Much of my Christian life has been the pursuit of Honestly, looking back, it's been the pursuit of silly and wrong expectations of God, which which necessarily brought about one of two things in me. On the one hand, there is the disappointment and confusion when expectations are unmet. Equally dangerous, maybe even more dangerous, on the other hand, is is the false excitement and false confirmation when by chance, or some other way, wrong expectations seem to be realized. In other words, it's frustrating to have wrong expectations of God and constantly face the reality that that he doesn't seem to meet them as I imagined he would. But it's probably worse to have wrong expectations of God and fool ourselves into thinking that it's actually working. And then, if that's the case, we're stuck. For years and decades. It's very hard to get dislodged in our hearts when that begins to happen. What can you expect of God? You can expect that He desires far more than you do. To bring you into the full experience and awareness and enjoyment of what He calls salvation. You can expect that he's awaiting and seeking every possible opportunity to reach your heart with the truth. You can expect that your assumptions, presuppositions, apathy, ideas, and appetites are hindering him every step of the way. It's never a matter of whether you and I are resisting what he is seeking to do in us And show to us, it's always a matter of how and where. And so you can expect that he has to work long and hard in our hearts just to make the world look empty enough and religion look dead enough and truth appear crucial enough for you and I even to begin to reach for it with our hearts. You can expect that if you want him to show you, he will show you. The way out of one shadow land, a passing realm, out of one blind and self-obsessed man, and into something, into someone much greater and, and, and completely eternal. You can, expect, you can expect that He will bring you into an experience of full salvation by way of the cross. And not the cross, I'm not talking about the cross as a historical reality that you believe in. I'm not talking about the cross merely as a means by which you are saved from hell. I'm talking about the cross as an ever-present and ongoing journey of the soul. I'm talking about the cross as the way your heart follows him out of the lie and into the truth. I'm talking about the cross as the journey where you awaken to the death that he brought you in, in his death. You realize yourself crucified with him you progressively comprehend the death that He died on your behalf. It's not a death that He died instead of you. It is a death that He gave you in Himself. And if you want it, you can can expect to be conformed to that death. To be conformed to His death, the death that He died. You can expect that He will open your eyes, the eyes of your heart, to see what lies on the other side of the divide of the cross. The whole universe of Christ where He is the light and the river and the bread and the vine and the king and the priest and the throne. And I'm not talking about what lies on the other side of your death. I'm talking about what lies on the other side of His death working in you. You can expect to know and experience all of these things as concrete, perceivable realities that happen in you. And to have their truth change you. You can sum all this up by saying you can expect that God will make real in your soul what He has made real by the cross. You can expect that God will make real in your heart, make real in your soul what He has made real by the cross. I, I don't know I don't know exactly what to expect of him in the earth. I really don't. I, I, mean, I mean, I don't really understand the whys and the wheres and the winds of how God intervenes in the natural realm. I, I mean that seriously. I don't, really underst- I don't understand how. I don't, I don't really know. I don't know, for instance, if he's going to heal you, though I have seen him heal with my own eyes. And I know that he can. I don't know if he's going to fix your circumstances. I don't know if he's going to protect your loved ones. I don't know if he's going to you know, keep you from making bad decisions or allow you to conceive a child or provide greater financial stability or keep this country from further moral degradation or find you a soulmate or allow us uh, as a church to keep this building or allow me to walk past 40 years of age. You know, I don't know any of that stuff. I'm quite aware that he can do all of those things. But to be very honest, my expectation is not set on anything like that. These things, uh, to be really honest and and somewhat personal, they very rarely come to my mind anymore. And not because I'm some kind of a, a spiritual superhero, but simply because my expectation is set on something else that I find to be so sure, so predictable, and so far superior. You can't He can't praise a man for digging for gold where he knows without question that he'll find it. It's not a sign of great maturity on my part. It's really a no-brainer to dig where you always find treasure. My expectations in these past few years have been aimed at something that has, has yet to let me down, has yet to disappoint me, and that is God progressively making real in my soul what he has made real by his cross. God making dead to my heart what is dead to him. God teaching me to live in and by and to abide in what he knows to be the substance and reality and person of his salvation. I'm not trying to set myself up as as an example. I'm just trying to tell you what's real to me. When I get disappointed, it's never because God is failing to do this. It's always because for some reason or other, I've shifted my expectation to something else. Can you hear that? You can count on God to show you the Son in whom and by whom you live. You can expect that that Son's life and nature and mind will gradually gradually overwhelm and govern your soul. You can fully anticipate that He who began this work in you will bring it to completion. It's an absolute safe assumption if you'll allow him to do it, if you'll look to the author and finisher of faith, if you'll set your mind on things above, not on things that are on the earth, if you'll gaze at the things that are unseen, not at the things that are seen, if you'll ask the Father, if you want the Father to reveal his Son in you. Galatians 1.15 Last week Julie said, I read her, um, her transcript or whatever it's called, her notes she said that, that the Lord was dealing with her uh, expectations um, of, of God to be her prince charming. Um, we all have something like that. I personally have never uh, wanted God to be my prince charming. It must be a girl thing, but uh, I have my own version of that in, in a thousand unspoken ways that the Lord needs to destroy. And teach me to aim my expectations in a way that parallel his well while we 're talking about expectations, what about my expectations of you what are what are what are our expectations of each other? Spirit of the Lord has changed these con- considerably as well in the last few years uh, there 's been a shifting in my heart that that um, you know it uh, it things have moved around quite a bit. People in this world are naturally like ticks without a dog no offen- no offense to uh, they suck life from one another, and they 're constantly disappointed when the supply runs dry or or, or the flavor changes and we 're so. We're so quick to establish our natural expectations in one another based on felt need, affirmation, shared time, emotional codependence. These are the basic building blocks of relating to one another in the flesh. The more I see the truth, the more my expectations of people have changed. I expect very little of, of people these days and don't misunderstand me that's not a bad thing at all that's actually a really really good thing it actually allows me to love and enjoy and care and give more real love and relatedness in Christ is always always being hindered and polluted by wrong and unmet expectations in people uncontrollable felt needs emotional dependency hurt feelings and the like There's this this vacuous sucking sound in so many of our relationships where we suck identity and suck self-esteem and purpose out of each other. We bring our expectations and our needs and requirements, knowingly or or unknowingly, into every relationship. And there they are like these hair-trigger booby traps, just waiting to be tripped. I mean, think about it. What's more dangerous than having a self-consumed Adamic human being Putting deep, meaningful expectations into another self consumed Adamic human being. How long before something explodes? It's the story of our natural lives. We see it all the time. So here, here's kind of the ugly part, and then I'll get to the good part. I expect you and I to be blind by nature, I expect flesh to seek its own gain. I expect flesh to clash with flesh and personalities to conflict and natural appetites to change and interests interests in each other to waffle. As far as the flesh is is uh, concerned I expect I expect that you'll see things in me that are ugly and I'll probably see things in you that are ugly too. When we find each other not drinking deeply of the Lord or when we find each other with our masks down. I guarantee you that I will let you down if your expect, expectations for me are in the flesh. I can, you can just count on it. And my goal, honestly, is not really to fix that. And it's possible to misunderstand what I'm trying to say here, and I, so I hope you don't. But I don't really want to figure out a way to meet people's natural expectations, and meet every felt need, to master the the, the pendulum swing of changing appetites and interest. I, I'm not trying to figure out a way to keep the right masks on at all the time, all different times, to keep from stepping on every every fleshly toe that sticks out. It, you know, that's not really what I'm going for in my relationship with you. Some people are really, really good at doing this, but really all that accomplishes is perpetuating an illusion. Here's the, here's the good part. I said I was going to say the ugly part first. Here's the good part. When a tick finds a dog, it finds all that it wants and more than it needs. Needs are met. Appetites are fulfilled. Interests are kept. Life is abundant. And so if ticks had half a brain, ones that found a dog would be free to relate with other ticks without demands, disappointments, expectations, needs, appetites, codependence. What I'm trying to say is that when the life of of Christ is more and more the expectation and the experience and the sustenance of our souls, and little by little, we're able to relate to one another according to what Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 13. We can actually keep no record of wrongs because why would you? We can actually seek not our own gain. We can give and not take. Patience is relatively easy. Kindness is natural. There's not much to envy since we both have the same bountiful Christ. There's, you know, it's hard to get provoked because what are you really going to take from me that's going to make me mad? It's easy to endure things because, you know, honestly, what's the worst that's going to happen? In other words, in coming to know Christ, our relationships with one another are hugely liberated from all of the self-obsessed expectations of the flesh. And we're free. Free to do what? Free, well, first and foremost, we're free to share an enormous dog. We're free to share the life of Christ that is our source and our life and it's flowing through our veins. And causing us to grow and see reality. We're free to relate in Him and by Him, free, free to relate together in all that He is and all that that means and grow up together. But even more than that, we're free from needing one another for things that can never be. We're free from looking to one another for things that will never happen. We're free from hurting one another through the inescapable disappointments of the flesh free from being able to ruin each other's day, break each other's hearts, tick each other off. I'm not talking about a zombie-like emotional detachment here. I'm talking about having emotions that line up with reality. I'm talking about having emotions invested in, in things according to the truth. I'm talking about big things feeling big and little things feeling little. This isn't the elimination of desire. This is desire coming into alignment with reality. Well, what about, again, we're on the topic of expectations. What about God's expectations of us? Again, knowing the truth, allowing the Spirit to show you the truth, it affects our understanding of this as well. So many Christians today live day by day under this crushing weight of what they imagine to be God's expectations. To to so many people that I talk to, Christian life is this whirlpool of guilt and shame and condemnation before God that makes life this heavy burden and makes God seem to be unknowable and unapproachable. That's not good. But the answer to this is not to play down or minimize God's expectations, but rather to know and understand how and in who they are met. In other words, the solution isn't thinking that God doesn't want much. The solution is realizing the greatness of God's judgment in the cross and the truth of the one in whom we now relate to God, whether we see that or not. There's a lot of books out there by Christian authors that are an attempt to help people deal with guilt and shame and condemnation that they feel before God. But rather than doing this by teaching the cross and and, and how we have been judged already in the cross of Christ and how Christ is now our life and how he is in fact our relationship with God and that in him Adam has been put away and therefore in him there is no condemnation. Condemnation doesn't make sense. In other words, rather than destroying condemnation and shame with the truth, there are books that try to destroy condemnation and shame by saying that God doesn't expect much. God expects your best try. God only wants you to do these five things to discover your purpose. God wants you just to put your heart into it. God just loves it when you get out there and go for it. God has a special and easy plan for how you can make him happy. God has you covered. Grace has has you covered. Just do what you can. You know, I'm sorry, but I'd rather see Christian bookstores filled top to bottom with Reader's Digest than those kind of books. Why? Because it's a lie. It's not only a lie... But it takes the expectation of the Father off of the perfection of His Son and the finished work of the cross and places it onto me and my fleshly attempt to turn over a new leaf. It's ridiculous. Make no mistake about it, God's expectations are incredibly high and extremely exclusive. And everything that we do or say or teach that underemphasizes those expectations makes light of the cross and, and the greatness of Christ. But with that said, God's expectations are fully and completely met, entirely satisfied and utterly realized by what He has done in transferring you out of the kingdom of darkness and making you dwell in the Son of His love. And in that Son, condemnation does not apply to you because condemnation is entirely spent. That does not mean that you and I are walking in the awareness of that or walking in the truth of that or have any understanding of the Son who is our life. But our awareness of this truth does not change God's perspective or God's acceptance. Our awareness has a great deal to do with with what we experience and abide in and how we feel about God and that's why we must grow up in the truth. But our awareness has nothing to do with what God has finished and how He now sees us. He sees us Dead in the judgment of Christ and alive in Christ forevermore where condemnation is no longer even relevant. God's expectations are not on us to do anything. They are on Christ to be everything. And He is. He already is. He has already judged the fullness of the Adamic man to fully judge the Adamic man. There's nothing left for him to judge of you that he hasn't judged in the cross. There's just the matter of whether or not you are walking in the truth of what he has done. He has already judged that man and everything that comes out from that man that may or may not still be working in your heart because of the blindness of the unrenewed mind. He has judged Adam. He has judged the old man. He has crucified that man and imparted to you the fullness of Christ. Again, whether or not we are walking in the truth that is what the que- that's what's in question. But it does not change how God knows us. He knows us according to the finished work of the cross. He knows us, Scripture says, Philippians, he knows us complete, made full in Christ. So, what does God expect of you and I? He doesn't expect you to pull some righteousness out of a hat. Certainly, He doesn't expect you to obey the law and the power of the flesh. That's why He came. Because we could not do that. He expects that we would look to him to learn what he has done and walk in it. Walk in the truth. There's nothing left to be done. There's only the issue of knowing what he has done. There's nothing left to be judged. There's only the issue in walk, walking in the truth of his judgment. I'm not saying you don't sin. Sin is going to, the only thing that's going to come out from you if you walk in the darkness of the unrenewed mind that only understands the Adamic nature. I'm not saying sin is a, is a myth or a or, or figment of your imagination. I'm saying it is the product of blindness. And judgment is already spent. The issue is our blindness with regards to what he has finished. And it's only when you don't know what God has done that you could possibly feel condemnation. I want you to hear that. It's only when you don't know what God has done that condemnation could be working in your heart. Condemnation is one of thousands of imaginations that don't exist in Christ, but that do exist in the darkness of the unrenewed mind what I mean is that condemnation doesn't even make sense in Christ. There's nothing left to condemn. And if you and I see rightly, we would never feel condemnation again. Guilt, shame, all of these are born out of an utterly false, make-believe idea with regard to God's expectations. They have no reality behind them except for the reality that we create for them in, the old, in our own minds. God's expectations are not, are not for what you and I can do, but for what you and I will walk in and realize and make manifest and experience and enjoy and abide in and live in. His expectation is for you and I to learn and walk in a salvation called Jesus Christ. To know the truth be set free from the lie, to walk in the light as he is in the light, to live in the freedom of the Spirit, having put away the flesh, the old man together with his deeds. So, amen. We'll stop with that. Let's pray.